and welcome to Mad Talks Games. This is episode 5, and I am recording on Friday night slash Saturday morning. Unfortunately, there's no Marvel stuff, so we haven't watched anything this week. I know Bad Batch came out, but we didn't watch Clone Wars, we didn't watch any of the animated stuff, so we just didn't watch that one, because not something that we're super interested in. Yeah, it's just been a busy weekend. We've been trying to do a lot of different things, and just haven't had a whole lot of time to play or watch anything new. I did watch Mortal Kombat again, just the last half of it, because I listened to a spoiler cast. Kind of interested to see a little bit more here and there. It was, it was still pretty fun. Again, I still think it was it was cool for what it was. It wasn't anything groundbreaking. It was a lot of fun, but I'm definitely interested for a sequel. I want to see where they're going to go next, because they definitely set so much up without really committing to anything, so... A sequel is in order, so hopefully they get at least one more to, to kind of play some more stuff. So really, honestly, that's really all that's been going on. There hasn't been a whole lot. We've been pretty busy this week doing a bunch of stuff around the house, so we haven't really had much more to do. So I'll take a short break, and when we come back, I'll talk about what I've been playing. Welcome back to what I've been playing. Again, a lot of the same stuff as last time. You know, I've been playing, you know, your uh, your phone games, like township and merge magic stuff like that where you know i just check in play a little bit here and there time to time i did try rocket arena i played through the tutorial and three more matches although i suspect that the three matches that i played were all against bots because we absolutely dominated against them and i feel like we did too good so i feel like it was definitely one of those ones where they wanted you to play against bots to get you feeling good to play more um, but that it seemed fun, you know. I might go back and try that a little bit more because it it seemed fun for what I played. But I just played, you know, three matches on top of the tutorial. So I'll see if I ever go back. It seemed kind of cool. I did also play Destruction All Stars. I played through the tutorial of that, and I got through the tutorial. I'm like, yeah, I'm done because that one wasn't really as fun. The tutorial didn't really make it very fun. It definitely explained what you want to do and all the different things that you're about to do in the game, but. None of that seemed fun to play, and that was one of the main things. It just seemed like it was going to be more of a hassle of trying to knock out cars and get out of the cars and jump in the car. It just didn't seem fun at the end of the day, so I don't know if I'll go back to that. I might go back to Rocket Arena and give that a shot, so you know, we'll see. But you know, they were, they were fun to experience, at least for a little bit, because I know I've got them both downloaded to the PlayStation. The main game that I've been playing is My Time at Porsche, and I know I played that months ago i played a lot of that game forever ago and it's just something that it felt right to jump back in because it didn't take a whole lot of time it was a very laid-back game and i thought well let me just see where i'm at let me play through a little bit and you know i got in the swing of things of, of what i was doing and it was definitely a lot of fun to jump back into and since then in the last two weeks i have rolled credits i finally completed the story that shows you how far I was in the first place because it only took me a couple of days to actually finish the story. And now I'm just trying to do a couple of things to wrap up a couple of the last trophies because I feel like the platinum is very obtainable. It's very close. I only have, I think, like five more trophies to go. And I know a couple of them I'll get just in the course of it. And I know I definitely will have to restart the game and play it again. But I definitely know what I'm going for. So I know the the platinum is within reach. And it's just such a fun game. It's very chill. It's very relaxing to kind of go back and forth and run around and do the things you want to do. And especially once you reach the end game, there is something that makes it a lot more easier. I don't want to say what it is in case you you want know, to play it and find out for yourself, but there is something there that is very cool that makes the end game a lot of fun. And 
I'm I'm sure I'll just be chipping away at this for a bit. There's a couple of other games I want to play, but I'll be chipping away at this for a bit to try to get the platinum because that's it's just kind of more my pace right now. Just I just need chill stuff. I know I have a couple games that I could play and start, but this one is just chill. I'm just going for the platinum. It's something very laid back and relaxing. So that's really all I'm playing for right now. There is a lot of news to talk about. So when we come back from this, let's dive right in because there is a ton there. So, okay. News next. Welcome back to the news. Let's get right to it. First story here is from Nathan Grayson at Kotaku. He is talking about here is what Epic paid to give away all those free games. This has been part of the ongoing Epic vs. Apple lawsuit. It was really interesting because really, at the end of the day, Epic gave away about $11.6 million to get free games on their App Store. And what it actually equated to, I think at the end of the day, was about $2.50 on average. You know, it just kind of shows that, you know, a little bit behind the scenes of what different people are doing, especially Epic is what, what they're doing to get people onto the store and get people buying games and into the ecosystem in the first place. Uh, obviously, this is with the free games, what they spent to get people in just to try it out. For example, I think they said like Subnautica, it cost like $1.4 million for them to get it on the store. And they got like, you know, a little over half a million people to sign up for the app store and log in. So it cost them, you know, $1.74 per person to just check out the app store and download the free game. So it just kind of sheds a little bit of light on what Epic's trying to do to shake up the app store and shake up the general purchasing habits of people in the first place where, you know, I know Valve is another company that is trying to take a 30% cut of games as well. So Epic is trying to do something to shake that up. And it, this just kind of sheds a little light on what they're doing. Another story that came through, which was kind of crazy, was that a knife-wielding man was arrested at Genshin Impact Developers Headquarters. This was from Brian Ashcroft at Kotaku. According to Sina, which was one of China's largest news portals, a man was arrested near Mihoyo Shanghai Headquarters, and it was believed that the suspect intended to stab the company's founders and take his own life, based on the information that they found from the social media accounts that he had and the steps that he took before this incident. And just, again, tries to show you how people need to kind of be more grounded in the real life where this isn't normal behavior. You shouldn't be trying to attack people for what they're trying to implement in their games. And it just kind of is one of the bummer sides of the industry where people get so obsessed with the drop rates and whatnot in their games that they look up the people who made these games and try to attack them. And it just isn't right. So, I mean, this is just another message of try to find what's wrong and then funnel that in a good way so that you can make a positive impact on the gaming industry. In a very similar matter, Brendan Sinclair from GamesIndustry.biz wrote a story about how the Ubisoft hostage hoaxer continued to make fake reports. I remember talking about the story last year where Ubisoft Montreal had a hostage hoax, and apparently there have been at least two more calls since then of different degrees with the studio of, you know, saying... People were held at gunpoint or there was a bomb next to the daycare. And apparently this all stems back to someone who is in France and is a Rainbow Six Siege player and is just disgruntled at someone nearby. I think it's in Sweden where there's a pro there and they just want them banned because, again, they just feel like this person is too good. And it just it, it kind of shows a crappier part of the game industry because they worked with the local authorities and they were able to defuse the situation on their own. 
but you you don't need to be calling in to different game developers and calling in bomb threats and calling in different things just because you want someone banned. Like, that's just garbage. I hate these people who think that this is a way to carry out their business because just play the game. Like, this is stupid. You're calling in police. You're calling in all these people. You're taking all this time away from families and everything just because you're upset with the way someone played the game. Like, it's just stupid. And I wish there was a better way for these companies to take care of this thing because this just isn't the way that things should be done. This is stupid that this even is a story. And I'm glad that they took care of this very quietly. And this wasn't a big story every single time because I remember when the first one happened, everyone didn't, no one knew what was going on. It was a crazy story. And I'm glad that no one was hurt. I'm glad this is an isolated incident and they've kind of narrowed it down to who's doing this, but just stop because this is stupid. And I wish this didn't happen because we should be better than this with our community. No one really needs to go through this. You know, knock it off for the bad people that are out there. After a long time of talking with Microsoft and, and almost being at a $10 billion deal, reportedly, PlayStation is investing in Discord and plans to integrate it with PSN in 2022. They had apparently invested with Discord in their Series H of funding and they said that next year, Discord and PlayStation Network will work as one in some sort of way. We, we have yet to see what that means. But I just thought this was kind of interesting because Microsoft apparently was very close in securing Discord for their own services. And then for those talks to break down and for them to almost immediately sign with Sony makes me wonder what Xbox was offering because that just seems really weird that they almost were purchased and now all of a sudden... They're going to be on PlayStation next year, so maybe they just like their independence. Maybe Sony offered them a better deal while they were still independent. I don't know, but just kind of an interesting story, and we'll see how that benefits PlayStation in the coming months and years once they get implemented. Brendan Sinclair from Games Industry Biz was talking about how GameStop is opening a new U.S. East Coast Fulfillment Center. It's going to open in Pennsylvania, and apparently it's really focused on their... Their e-commerce business, apparently GameStop has shifted a lot from their brick and mortar stores to a lot of the e-commerce, and this is going to be a big boon in helping GameStop fulfill their orders and to keep them relevant in this industry. And I know it's just one of those things that's interesting to note because we didn't know where they were going, and this is a sign of where they're headed. They know that their days of being PlayStation, Xbox, Nintendo partners are, are coming to a close, and they need to focus more on other things outside of games because you don't necessarily need to go to GameStop to buy a game for a PlayStation or an Xbox. So they're trying to find ways to to stay relevant within industry, and this is one of the ways. So, we'll, I mean, we'll see how it all pans out, but cool on them for being able to find a way to get orders and ship them a lot quicker. So very cool. Daniel Partis from Games Internet Biz had reported on how Respawn Oculus won an Oscar for their documentary this year. And it is the very first time that anyone in the games industry had won an Oscar. They won their Oscar for the documentary short subject for their its in-game film Colette. So I just wanted to make a note of that. It was kind of interesting hearing them. I did watch a little bit of the Oscars and it was cool hearing them, you know, thanks to the game industry and thank the different platforms and everything, because that's definitely something you haven't heard the Oscars before. So, you know, cool that part of the game industry kind of bled over a little bit, even in the slightest way, because, you know, it just legitimizes it just a little bit more. So I thought that was cool. In another interesting tidbit from the Sony Epic lawsuit, Rebecca Valentine from IGN said that Sony makes Epic games pay for Fortnite crossplay. I thought this was interesting because a lot of people, when Fortnite 
came huge on the scene. A lot of people wanted it to be cross-play with all the devices. You could just cross-progress and play anywhere you wanted to. And Sony was a holdup for a long time, and we found out now that there was a stipulation that Sony made with Epic that should people play on Sony platforms for a long time but pay otherwise. So if someone's playing on PS4 a lot but paying on iPhone a lot, Sony gets a bonus cut on that person's payments. And I thought that was just very interesting that they came out. I'm sure that's something that they didn't want to come out, but because of the lawsuit that's going through and all the different things that have been filed, we did learn a bit about that and how crossplay came to be. So it was kind of interesting to hear that Sony had that in play because that's definitely something that Microsoft, PC, Nintendo could have had, but Sony asked for it and Epic said, okay, so... There it is. I don't know where the future will be. I mean, maybe we'll see different deals in the future, but kind of interesting that we learned a little bit about that in the first place. Jason Schreier over at Bloomberg had done a report that says Cyberpunk managers still win big bonuses after shoddy game launch. This was a very interesting report. Bloomberg, I know, is behind a bit of a paywall, but uh, it definitely said that a lot of the higher-ups were to receive a bonus of $24 million or you know, $6.3 million. Whereas the average take-home, I think they said from a reporter, was you know like thirty-four thousand dollars. But really, you know, some of the high ends would take home hundred to two hundred thousand dollars, and some of the other people would take home like two or three thousand dollar bonuses. And that was definitely not what they were promised when they came to work on the project. So it's just more rocky land for Cyberpunk because they definitely. I know they had their sales problems and they're still not available to buy on the, on the PlayStation store, but it just sucks that a lot of people who are promised good bonuses, they're not getting them yet. Still the higher ups at CD project are getting millions of dollars in bonuses because that's what their contract says. So definitely a bummer story, but we'll see how it goes. Hopefully maybe once PlayStation gets on board and everything gets cleared and the game is serviceable on consoles again, hopefully more of that money trickles down to the developers and the people who did the hard work on the game rather than the managers. So, and you know, we'll see what happens. In a very related story, Leanna Rupert from Game Informer said that Activision Blizzard CEO Bobby Kotick agreed to a 50% bonus cut and salary reduction. Granted, his salary reduction goes down to still just less than a million dollars, but at least it is a sign of positive change in the industry because I know he has been criticized heavily over the past couple of years of taking 20, 30 million dollar bonuses while hundreds of people get cut from the studios. And that's just, it, it never sat right with gamers, especially because one person can't be responsible for all of it, especially when he doesn't actually work on the games. I still think there's a lot of work to go where developers definitely need more of the money, but I'm glad to see that they at least have been listening and saying, hey, we need to pay this guy at the top a little bit less or, you know, a lot less in this case because he's not actually making the games. And yeah, he might be brokering some dealers and talking to some people, but man, like all this money going to him just does not sit right. And gamers, especially even people who are just buying the games and have nothing to do with the industry are saying this isn't right. So hopefully we'll see this bleed over a bit to other areas within the game industry. Switching to different story, Xbox Games Gold have been announced for the month of May. We are seeing Armello will be available from May 1st to the 31st, Dungeons 3 from the May 16th to June 15th, Lego Batman from May 1st to 15th, and Tropical 4 from 16th to 31st. Not exactly the greatest offerings for Games Gold, but 
again, games with gold doesn't really have to do a whole lot because they have Game Pass. And even with these games, Armello, I really enjoyed that. I paid money for that. I have, I think, on PlayStation. I thought it was a pretty good game. Tropico, it's kind of weird because it's four. I know I got Tropico 5 on PS Plus at some point, and I think they're up to Tropico 6. So four is kind of weird, but hey, it's still a free game. And, you know, Lego Batman, you can't go wrong with that. And Dungeons 3, I haven't heard much about that, but the things I've read here and there said it's a pretty good game. So, hey, free games, cool. In terms of PS Plus, Leanna Rupert from Game Reformer also noted that Wreckfest will be available on the PS5, well, Battlefield 5, or V, and Stranded Deep will be available on the PS4. Um, Wreckfest, car game, cool. If you have a PS5, go for it. That's great. Battlefield V or 5. I'm sure it's great. I haven't played it yet, but it's just like any other great game. I'm sure it's it'll be fun to play. In Stranded Deep, I played probably about three hours of that. I thought it was really cool. I don't know what pulled me away from that, but it was cool. It's definitely worth a free game. It's not bad, but I feel like, you know, the games with gold might be a little bit better this month, but again, you don't really get anything new for, with breakfast. You get something new, so it's up to you what you like better, but a lot of good games out there for free if you're subscribed to the services already. Jeff Grubb from VentureBeat reported that Microsoft is reducing its cut for games on Windows Store to 12% from 30%, very similar to the Epic deal that they do on their own store. This is just significant because it is one of the first other stores that have done outside of Epic where they have reduced their cut. I know Epic really did their 12% cut to put pressure on the Apple Store, but Windows reducing their cut to 12% is also putting a little bit of pressure on the Apple Store and also valve who is out there just taking a 30 percent cut of everything and windows is trying to break into that market i know there's been a lot of stuff floating around here and there especially with the apple and epic uh, lawsuit that's going on right now where apparently windows or microsoft was talking about cutting their console their xbox console store cut to 12 percent as well but we haven't seen that you know we don't know what's happening with that we just know that their Windows Store with the PC has been cut to 12%. And more competition is better because I, I know a lot of times too when I think about this stuff where there are these software people out there who charge a fixed percent and they don't do anything. I know recently we had our cat shipped and we used the website to ship our cat to us. And they just, it didn't matter what the charge was that we had with the person who was going to bring our cat here. They just took a percentage. And that to me... That never sat right because they really didn't do anything and they're just going to take a percentage. And I think that's what a lot of game developers say is like, hey, we do all this work. We do all the certification and everything. And to put our game on your store and you're just going to take 30% for absolutely nothing. You don't do anything. You don't help us. You know, I understand that. And I'm glad that, you know, Epic and now Microsoft are taking some sort of step to curtail that. And, you know, maybe we'll see more moves in the future. We can only hope, but for now, you know, it's, that's good news that you know developers will be getting more money in the future to help them make better games and more games going forward. Marie D'Alessandre had said that Stadia had a product. John Justice had joined the company in 2019, and he is already gone. And this is, I've kind of lumped this in here because it's just more people who have left Stadia. And I know there have been reports of plenty left and right about how Stadia is a shell of what it was. And this is just another key figure who had left. And I just wanted to note it because Stadia, they had a really good idea, but man, it's just bleeding talent. And I don't know how long it's going to last. So, you know, we'll see. But just another story of key talent leaving. So don't hold your breath that Stadia is going to be anything big in the future. 
I don't know how relevant this is, but Tom Ivan from Video Games Chronicle said that Blizzard's player base has fallen 29% over the past three years. They said monthly active users have declined from 38 million to 27 million. Now, granted, in the past three years, there haven't really been any new game releases, but I don't know, you know, with the things that Activision and Blizzard have been doing, I don't know how much that is with, you know, new games not coming as opposed to things at Activision and Blizzard not going really well. The key point will be in the next two years, if Overwatch 2 comes out, if Diablo Immortal finally comes out, if Diablo 4 gets teased, things like that, if we see player counts increase, cool, then they don't have to worry about anything. But I really feel like hearing about Bobby Kotick getting his bonuses, hearing about all these Blizzard people leaving, all these Activision people leaving, it's kind of, you know, it does bleed over a bit into just even the casual gamer. And I know... As much as I love Diablo, I don't know how much I care right now about Diablo 4 because it's not the same people making Diablo anymore. It's not the same Blizzard. It's not the same creative people. And I don't know how much I really care because I wanted to support those people. And those people may not even be there anymore. So you know, we'll see how, where the future comes. But definitely their numbers have been going down, even though the revenue has been staying the same or going up. So in the next two to three years... If Blizzard can't rebound in terms of player counts and profit, we might see big changes. Who knows? This next one from Riley MacLeod from Kotaku really kind of hits home with me. Humble Bundle rethinks unpopular charity split. I know last time I talked, Humble Bundle was talking about removing their sliders from their web store. And they actually reversed course and they put their sliders back in for charity splits and everything. And I know, honestly, for me... I almost bought something with Humble Bundle last time, but I stopped because they removed the charity sliders. And I thought, I just don't want to support this because so much money is going to Humble Bundle. The whole point of this is for it to go to charity and everything, and you can't adjust it at all. So I'm glad that they backtracked on this. We'll see how it all pans out. And one of the interesting stories that came up kind of in conjuncture with the Apple and Epic lawsuit is that Sony is getting sued for restricting its digital game sales to PlayStation Store. About two or three years ago, they actually removed the ability to buy games from anywhere other than the store. So, you know, you used to be able to go into Walmart or Target or whatever and buy a code, and that code would let you download a game, and they said, we're not going to do that anymore. And there's actually someone who came up and said, hey, that's not right, and you have a monopoly on your store, and that isn't good. I don't know where this is going. I just wanted to make note of it because with all the things that are going on with Epic suing Apple, people suing Valve with someone suing Sony, there's a lot going on in the game industry right now about their closed ecosystems and what is right and what is wrong. So I don't know how this is all going to shake out, but I just thought I'd bring it to your attention because there's a lot going on right now, especially in the courts, and we don't know what's going to, how it's going to all end up and how it's going to benefit the consumer or hurt the consumer. So we'll keep tabs on it. I'll keep letting you know where things are going. The last story here is kind of a, a good one. It's StarCraft is headlining the class of four inductees into the video game Hall of Fame. They have added Animal Crossing, StarCraft, Microsoft Flight Simulator, and Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego to the Video Game Hall of Fame. The games are inducted into the Strong's World Video Game Hall of Fame in Rochester, New York. Which is part of the Strong Museum of Play. I'm reading this from VentureBeat. Dean Takahashi is reporting. You know, I feel the four that they picked were pretty good, and it's just cool that just highlighting what the games have done and that there is a game hall of fame, and people are trying to highlight the things that have 
come before and have really left a mark on the industry. So I just thought it was a cool little story. With that, I am going to take it to the bonus round. Again, the bonus round is just some stories that have come up in the last you know week or two and I don't have much to say about them, but I thought I'd touch on them anyway. First one is that Fortnite made over $9 billion between 2018 and 2019. In two years, they made $9 billion. That was some of the findings of the Apple versus Epic lawsuit. I just thought it was crazy. That's a lot of money. Nintendo, apparently, in again, in part of the lawsuit between Epic and Apple, there is a Nintendo document that said that Nintendo publishers cannot work for Yakuza. And it's just crazy because they can't, like, they can't work for Yakuza. They can't know anyone that works for Yakuza. They can't know anyone that know anyone. It's just crazy. So I just thought it was funny that they very clearly spelled out, hey, if you work for the Yakuza, don't touch Nintendo in any way, shape, or form. So I thought that was, that was kind of interesting. Xbox has added more games with FPS boost on the Series X and S. I think they're up to like 90 some odd games where they have an FPS boost. I just thought it was a very cool thing. If you want to check out, you you can go to their website to see all the games that they have supported. But man, they just keep working and working and working to make sure that all the games you own look best and play best on their system and just shout out to them. That's very cool. One of the other cool stories is that Skyrim Grandma has been modded into the game. If you don't know anything about her, she is someone who is of grandmother age. She's been playing Skyrim religiously and people have finally modded her into the game as an NPC and that's just really cool because she's just out there having fun and it's cool that someone has, you know, acknowledged that and, and modded it in the game. So, cool on her. Very cool story. Yoshinori Ono has left Capcom. It's been almost 30 years and he is one of the mainstays in the Street Fighter community, and he is moving on to do his own thing, and I just wanted to kind of touch on that. I'm not in the fighting game community. I don't play the games, but I recognize that he has been awesome, and I can't wait to see what he does next in his endeavor. So very cool on him to strike out in the industry and do something else. So we'll see what happens. In news that should surprise nobody, Gamescom is going to be all online this August. They were going to try to have a in-person event, but they wised up and said, hey, it's not going to happen. So Gamescom will be online only, and I look forward to watching that with all of you. And the last bit of news that I had is that modders will not be kept down. Apparently with the Resident Evil Village demo, which you could only play for an hour, not only did modders figure out a way to play for more than an hour, but they also found out a way to make Lady Demetress as Thomas the Tank. And Thomas the Tank will be in everything till the end of time, as far as I'm concerned. They will always mod him into everything. I might actually play the game if it were Thomas the Tank, because that's just so ridiculous. But anyway... That was the bonus round, and when I come back, it's going to be segment three, and segment three this week, it's going to be my favorite gaming memories. Hopefully you enjoy. I'll talk to you then. All right, and welcome back to segment three, my favorite gaming memories, and it's going to be more freeform. It's going to be kind of all the things I thought about when I was growing up as a kid. You know, I know one of the very first things I can think about is the Atari and how we used to have an Atari in a basement hooked up to the TV. And I know there were games like River Raid and Pitfall and Helicopter Command. And we used to play those constantly back and forth. And it was a lot of fun. And, you know, I don't know necessarily that I knew what I was doing, but it was still fun playing those with my family and friends. 
to try to learn games a little bit at the time when I was young. I remember actually going with my dad to get a Nintendo system, and we got it for my sister for her birthday. And we got home, and, you know, we gave it to her, and she plugged in the TV, and we played it. And I still remember to this day that, you know, she played the first level, and she had fun, and she got through all the way to the end, and she gave me the controller to play as player two. And I took my Luigi, and I ran forward, and I ran straight into a Goomba, and I died. And then it was her turn. And I just remember thinking, you know, well, wait a minute, that's not how it's supposed to go. But that's still one of the, the favorite memories I have as a kid of just learning how to play video games. And hey, that wasn't how to do it. And not only did she teach me, you know, my parents taught me, hey, here's how you play the game and here's how to have fun. So I thought that was kind of cool. But that's one of those memories that's always going to stick with me forever. The other thing that stuck with me with that is we apparently bought the the bundle that had World Class Track Meek and Duck Hunt with it. And those were two very fun games. We would play those constantly in the basement where we would set out the power pad and you would wait until the event took place, like the triple jump. And you would stand off to the side and you jump on and hit, you know, real fast. And you jump off and hit real fast and jump off and hit real fast. And, you know, we'd have a lot of fun with that. And then, you know, with Duck Hunt, when we learned that the second controller controlled the ducks and you can move those up and down where the first controller could shoot took us a long time to figure that out but you know it was all fun games we had a lot of fun playing that growing up and even when we didn't know all the the tricks we still had a lot of fun playing that so it was really cool on the pc you know there's a couple games i know growing up that were a lot of fun we had a version of jeopardy and wheel of fortune that we used to play all the time where you know you have a couple people sit and you, you would hit your own button to buzz in and play the game and i know another game that came up recently on reddit was world-class leaderboard it was a golf game and man we used to play this one so much me and dad and and me and our friends because we used to hit the ball on this one and you'd hear oh can't be too happy about that one jim or you know whatever and just hearing some people relive that on the internet these days man it was just like it just took you straight back to those days because we used to play that game so much. We'd sit around the computer and we'd play the golf game a lot and we'd play Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune and remembering that you'd have to spell the words correctly in order to, to get it right and everything. But it was still just a lot of fun just to be able to sit around and play these games that we used to watch on TV all the time and enjoy them together as a family, hitting the different buttons and everything. So I, I always thought that was a lot of fun. It was really cool. Oh man, one of the memories I used to have always was renting games. And we used to rent games from various places. Obviously, we had a blockbuster in town. We had what was called Thumb Video, which was another place in town. But our uh, grocery store, IGA, they also had a rental section. And I remember a lot of times I'd rent games from them. You know, dad would go grocery shopping. I'd look at the games and everything. And one of the ones that I always would rent and always we would get, you know, an extra day on was Blades of Steel. Friday would run by and dad would say, hey, we need to return this in. i say, oh, just one more night, dad, please. And he'd say, okay. And I would get one more night with Blades of Steel. And I just remember that. It's just one of those things that's always just seared into my memory of, you know, I get one more night of, of playing hockey and, and you know, looking back at it now, it's a garbage game. But, man, it was so much fun back at the time. And, and just to get an extra night, it was so cool. I always loved that. Being a stat nerd, there was a game called NBA Showdown 94. And I had so much fun with this game, but what I would do is I would turn a lot of the penalties off, like offsides and, you know, whatever. And I would take some of my players and 
I was always trying to lead all the stats categories. So I would try to be, you know, the most rebounds and the most three-pointers and everything. And I, re- I remember I had a huge love affair with the Spurs at the time. And Del Negro was my guy, Vinny Del Negro. I used to always love him. And I would take him, I'd pass it to him. And I'd go behind the arch and I'd just let him shoot. And he'd hit the backboard and rebound and backboard and rebound. And he'd just keep doing that. So he'd be one of the biggest rebounders. And I remember after a while, I'd come down the floor and I'd shoot a a three-pointer with him at a certain spot because I know he would always make it. Then after I do that for a few games, I'd shoot it into David Robinson and I'd have David Robinson shoot from the floor or shoot rebounds or get rebounds down low and everything to try to up his stats. And that's kind of some of the things we do as a kid where you didn't have a whole lot of things to do. And so you kind of made your own fun because there wasn't this online world that you could go to. You're trying to figure out, you know, what could I do to make this game longer and make it enjoyable and I tried to, in that game, just be the stat leader in all the categories. And, you know, I never got there, but it was still something fun that I would do. I just, I I remember doing that very distinctly. I remember playing those games for hours in the basement when, you know, I knew other kids were outside doing whatever, but this was fun to me. So that's what I did. A couple of the games that came through, I know I was a genesis kid i didn't play on the super nintendo but one of the games i loved was general chaos and i can tie a direct line from general chaos to team fortress because man i love this game i just remember it was just such a cool game where you have your different types of characters that you were playing on on the field and you had to figure out how to use them against the other ones that you were playing on the field. And it was such a cool game at the time because there was nothing else like it that I could remember. So that was one of the ones that really struck me as a kid. And I love that game so much. Very similar but different was Royal Rumble with the WWF at the time. We used to play this game all the time. I used to love playing WWF Royal Rumble and playing the different characters. I mean, I loved Undertaker growing up, and we used to play you know, all the time in the backyard, different wrestling matches. And I remember this was actually one of the games that made me buy a six-button controller because, again, I was a Genesis kid, and you had to use the different combos to do the different things. And instead of doing those, I just bought a six-button controller. So I had ABC and XYZ. It was one of those very rare instances where... You know, I, I'm sure I played Mortal Kombat with it too, but I know that was definitely a controller that I used for Royal Rumble because we were trying to do the different throws and the different takedowns and everything, and it, you really needed all six buttons. So that was one of the very first times where I took a 4A into third-party controllers to make sure I had all the buttons on the controller. So I thought that was kind of cool. One of the craziest stories I had growing up was when I was in junior high, I used to play a game called MechWarrior on the PC. And it was just a load of fun. And you would kind of figure out what your loadout with your mechs would be. And you would go out into the whatever land and you'd have your mechs and you'd try to win the objectives. And I remember one time when I went into one of my classes I had, I sat by the wall. And by the wall, there was a plug box. And on top of it, there was a piece of paper at one time. And I opened the piece of paper. And on the piece of paper was a bunch of writing, which had a lot to do with MechWarrior. So I remember I took that piece of paper and I wrote back to him. And for an entire semester, me and this person wrote back and forth via the top of this plug in this class. And we would use very appropriate language. We would talk about strategies. We would talk about this, that, and the other thing. And to this day, I have absolutely no idea who that was. 
but we would talk about MechWarrior constantly and share stories and share strategies and everything. And it's just crazy that to this day, I have no idea who that was. And I probably will never know who that was, but it was kind of cool. Just a, a moment in time where, man, I loved that game and I loved booting it up and trying to beat the level and having a lot of problems and trying to adjust my mechs accordingly and also talking to this person that I didn't know and trying to take strategies from them. It was very cool. So just one of those stories from life where, hey, cool that I was able to play and reach out with someone else that I didn't know and just enjoy some time playing games together, even though we weren't actually playing games together. So that was very cool. I know I had a big time. I don't know exactly what game I was playing, but there was a big time when I was in junior high where I think I was playing NASCAR 99 in my bedroom on the computer that I had in there, but man, I was also watching Days of Thunder constantly, and it was one of those games where you could adjust your car, and I was trying to play with my car to adjust it and get the best laps I could while still racing around and watching the movie in the background, and man, that was super nerdy, but it's definitely something I did, and uh, just sharing because I know I spent so much time playing that game and playing that movie over and over again, but it was a lot of fun. I, I had a blast doing it. I was racing and I was learning kind of the different parts of your car and how you, you know, if you change this a little bit, kind of how you can make your laps last longer. Because if you just change this slightly, you know, hey, cool, you know, now you can last longer because your wind trajectory or whatever. But yeah, I thought it was cool. I had a lot of fun playing it. So I just thought I'd share that because that was one of the nerdy things I did. That's for sure. Once I got into the 64, I definitely dominated amongst my friends. I We used to play GoldenEye all the time. We used to play Nagano Winter Olympics all the time. And I would just absolutely destroy everybody. And hey, they were all really good at sports. They all could run faster than me, jump higher than me. This was my thing. And I did great at it. I was able to beat all of them with all of these things and get the combos down and everything. And I even remember sometimes where we would be playing and I would do a combo perfectly and someone else would try and they would just shut off the 64 and, and grab their cartridges and run because they couldn't do it. And hey, you know, it's the thing that I can do. So I was I was happy that I could be able to do it because definitely I didn't work out as much as they did. So video games were my outlet. So it's a way that I had fun. Outside of the competition, though, and for 64, two of the games that I will never forget were Ocarina of Time and Mario 64. Ocarina of Time was such an absolute fantastic epic that I used to play all the time. I spent, you know, at least 30 to 40 hours just going back and forth and playing all the different things. And it wasn't even until I was, you know, towards the late game that I remember getting an actual guide for it where you could figure out a couple areas where I was stuck. Yeah, you know, I, I played through that, a lot of that game on my own. It was a lot of fun. And even, you know, Mario 64, I remember I used to go over to my friend. I used to go over to their house and we used to play and we'd bring my save over. And I think eventually he ended up taking that from me, but it was still cool. It was a lot of fun to play. And I remember those were two of the big games where I was like, man, this is where the future of games is going because it's just this huge world and these huge things that you can do. And it was a lot of fun. But then I also remember uh, PC where civilization throughout the years i used to have fun with that game constantly i remember going back to the most basic of notebooks where you would have to actually press up and left if you wanted to go up and left 
on something all the way until, you know, Civilization VI where they were using hexagons. And that's one of those games where, you know, I'll always remember where I was when I was playing those because they were a lot of fun. Very similar to Diablo. I remember Diablo was a huge game in my life growing up. And uh, when Diablo 2 came out, we were all playing that constantly. I remember there was one friend who used to watch us and be like, oh, this is stupid and this is dumb. And why are you guys always playing that? Whatever. I remember one time we went over to his house to pick him up. And there he was sitting on his computer playing it. And we all kind of called him out on it. And he was like, oh, yeah, you know, whatever. But it was like one of those vindicating moments of like, yeah, you know, you, you make fun of this game that we're all playing, but yeah, it is fun. You can see why it's fun. And I think that's one of the biggest things that has kind of reigned over gaming in general of, you know, people don't understand why these things are fun, but once you start playing it, you get it. And I think a lot of times all you need is just, you know, an in, just a way into the game, someone to show you something very simplistic and you kind of get it and you, you see why it's so fun. So, yeah, I just remember that story specifically because he was so against playing the game and then, man, he, he logged so many hours in that game once he got it. So I thought that was kind of funny. Growing up through the years then, uh, I remember getting an Xbox for the first time because I didn't have any of the consoles until then. And, you know, I had some games I played on it, mostly, you know, MLB. But I remember when I moved out to California, that was when Guitar Hero hit hard for me. And I remember going over to my friend's house and he had Guitar Hero and we were playing it and I was doing so bad. But I, I understood it. I knew what I was doing wrong. And I was like, man, this is going to be so much fun. And I remember on my way home that night, I went to a store and bought Guitar Hero on my own. We went back the next night and we were playing it together. And on my way home after that, I went and bought a PS2 because I was like, man, this game is so much fun. I want to keep playing this. And that was it for me for Guitar Hero. I remember playing that on PS2 alone, but also with my friend, man, we played so much Guitar Hero when we were living in California and it was so much fun. And that really did it for me. I, I played a lot of Guitar Hero, a lot of Rock Band after that, and it was a lot of fun. You know, just having a, a whole ton of fun downloading different tracks and, and trying all that out. It was just a blast. I know shortly after that, when I moved back to Florida, I know my parents bought me a 360, and that was, when my parents bought me a 360, that was one of the main points of my life when gaming went from something that was really fun and cool to something that was a huge passion for me. And I know part of it had to do with a friend at the time that I worked with when we were playing Bioshock, and Bioshock was one of the games for me that really took it from hey, you know, we're having fun, we're playing games, to hey, you love games, this is awesome. And it really took it from just a hobby to a passion for me. And I know that was one of the key moments in my life where I'll just always remember it because playing through that game, it was just eye-opening of how far games had come from, you know, they're a little here and there and blah, 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 whatever, to this is like a full-fledged story in an entirely unique world. And it was so awesome. And it definitely was one of those things that it set the stage for me for today and how I am and the passion that I have for games because it's just so cool. And um, I know the Guitar Heroes and the rock bands really did pave the way for the future for me and how much fun I had because I know with the PS4 and Xbox One, those were the absolute very first game systems that I ever had where I bought them on release day. And all the other ones I'd ever gotten for the rest of my life had come later. They'd come up to three years after release. And 
that was fine for me. It was cool, but I wasn't as deeply entrenched into the gaming industry as I was as when, you know, I bought the PS4 and Xbox One. So those were very cool moments for me because I was in on the ground floor. I was playing the newest games, the coolest games at the very beginning. And those are memories that I'll always have. And there are memories that are always very cool to me of just playing these games throughout my whole life, going all the way back to Atari and enjoying them and everything. And then finally getting to a point where I made it, I made it to the point where they are brand new and I can enjoy them new with my own money and everything. And I just thought that was always cool because for the longest time I was always catching up and finally I was able to join them new. So although I have many, many memories of the games from, you know, PS4 and Xbox One, uh, that's kind of where I'm going to stop right now. So that should do it for my gaming memories. Looking back on all the memories I have in gaming. So hopefully you enjoyed that and this will end episode five. As always, you can reach out to me at mtgrpgme on Twitter and show at rpgme.net. If you want to check out the show, you can go to rpgme.net slash mtg. The show will show up there. I know it's also on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, but I don't necessarily know if it's everywhere you're looking. So if it isn't, you know, let me know. I'll be able to put it up there. It's also on YouTube if you want to watch me, but, you know, obviously, I recommend you checking this out as an audio podcast because there isn't much going on. It's just me talking to a camera. So hopefully you enjoyed and you look forward to talking to me in a couple weeks. I think that should take care of everything and all the different places that you can reach out to me. So until then, I hope that you have a good weekend. I will talk to you soon. Okay, game on.